Well, uh, this morning we are continuing on our series called Culture Wars, and uh, I'm going to grab my table here. <laughs> well, um, I'm excited to share a little bit about uh, what uh, God has been doing uh, in our districts this past week, too. I was at district council this week earlier, got to hear a lot of amazing testimonies, got to hear some exciting things that have been happening in our world, a number of you were there for the Equip Conference, and it was good to, to see you there, too. Um, Laura and I were kind of like um, tag-teaming. We were uh, going back and forth, uh, but it was, it was worth it. Even a lot, of, a lot of time in the car over the past few weeks, driving back and forth to, or over the last week, back and forth to Bloomington, but it was worth it to, um, to be with our friends and to be with our partners in ministry and to hear what God is doing. And so I hope that if you were part of that, that you were challenged, you were encouraged in your faith, that you learned some things that will help you as you, as you continue to serve. And if you didn't make it this year, then next year you need to go, okay? So um, plan to be a part of it next time. Um, last week, uh, we did a, a message series, or a message called Biblical Conviction, and uh, we spent a good part of the, the message addressing the issue of transgenderism in our country. Um, and if you missed that message, what I'd encourage you to do is jump on YouTube. We actually had kind of a weird uh, thing with our live stream last week where the video got split in half, and uh, Howard went in there and put it back together and uploaded it again to YouTube. So if you missed it, you can jump online and check that out uh, and uh, get caught up. Uh, I just want to explain a few things and, and just touch on a few things that maybe um, just to bring some clarity as we move forward in this series. Um, first, in, in the past, the church as a whole has done a pretty decent job of addressing issues in our culture, uh, but we always haven't always done the best at being compassionate for individuals who are affected by those issues. And I hope that um, you understood last week as, as we were talking about this thing that we can be in disagreement with a policy, we can be in disagreement with a practice, but we can still have empathy and compassion for the individual. That's the heart of the church. And so we need to be able to teach the truth and teach the Word of God and love people at the same time who are who are in opposition to the Word of God. That is the message of the gospel, and, and balancing those things can be a complicated and complex issue. It can be hard to walk down that line and to show love to people who are sometimes um, living a lifestyle that is at odds with what we teach and what we believe. And so my hope is that in our zeal to have good policy and in our zeal to have good doctrine, we don't alienate and isolate those who are wrestling with these particular issues. And even uh, things like, like gender dysmorphia, which we touched, or dysphoria, which we touched on last week, um, that's, a, that's a real thing, and that's a real person that's struggling with that particular issue. Um, I also want to mention, I had several great conversations last Sunday, and I wanted to emphasize um, one thing quickly here. Um, we didn't get into last week why we as the Christian church reject um, gender fluidity and uh, sex changes and transgenderism and stuff like that, um, mostly because we didn't have time to get into all of the details on that. 
I want you to understand something. This is not just some bigoted response because it makes us feel uncomfortable. All right, There are real reasons why we hold the values that we hold. There are biblical reasons. There are scientific reasons. And so last week I mentioned um, that the Assemblies of God had written a position paper on this particular issue, and we, we made that available. And I want to just highlight that again to find it so that it's easier for you. Um, we made a link at westpoint.org slash trans. You can go right there and read what it has to say, and it'll take you through um, these different definitions and why we believe what we believe and why we believe that God created men and women and two sexes, and, and he did that for a purpose and that there are both biological, scientific reasons behind what we believe, what we believe, as well as a biblical reason, too. And so I just want you to have access to that. Um, now, um, as a Christian, how we behave in a world that, that we don't belong to, that's really the point of this particular message series, as we're talking about culture wars. We're living in a world that's at odds with what we believe, that's in disagreement with what we believe. And so how do we walk in a world um, that we are kind of opposed to in a lot of ways? And uh, this morning I decided to just change things up a little bit, and, and I flipped two of the messages around, um, preaching on what I planned to be the third message this morning. And I might add a fourth message. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but one thing that I wanted to do, if you have questions about anything, um, I'm going to try to address some of those questions. Uh, but I need time to actually think about how to respond to those things. So if you have a question, you are interested in that, there's a phone number that we're going to put up on the screen. And you can text to this number. This will go directly to me. And uh, if you have questions about our culture that you want uh, addressed or you, you want to talk about, you can send those into that number, and I will do my best to answer some of those, hopefully. So um, <laughs> uh, take, go ahead and, and uh, do that and uh, take advantage of that. We'll leave that up there for a little bit so you have time to, to jot that down if you need to. All right, I want to just take us back through the history of God's relationship with mankind, right? We can do that in about five minutes, right? Just cover the, the entire, uh, not just the Bible, but the entire history of humanity. Like, God created Adam and Eve to be in perfect community with him, right? If you read back in Genesis, God created the Garden of Eden. He created the first man and women. He created them to be in relationship with him. And man violated that relationship. And they chose to separate themselves from God through their sinful behavior and so now there was division between God and man. And as mankind went on, there was a remnant of people throughout that early history of humanity that chose to stay faithful to God. We have men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It was that, that family lineage that carried on um, what it meant to be a follower of the one true God. And generally... That group of people lived outside of what the rest of the world system was until this guy named Moses, right? Moses um, basically took the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and gathered them together in Egypt, and they left Egypt to head to the promised land that God had promised to them. And as uh, that process unfolded, they became the nation of Israel, and they ultimately 
lived under God's authority for a time. It was a theocracy. It was God who was ultimately the head of not only their spiritual existence, but their government as well. And so God gave Moses different laws and different instructions, and he passed those on to the people. They had a system of governance that shifted and changed throughout time as different leaders came in. After Moses, you had Joshua, and then you had a string of other judges that led the people, and, and most of it was a disaster, to be completely honest, because people are people. It wasn't God's fault. It wasn't, he wasn't the problem in why this whole thing didn't work out so great. But they kept falling into sinful behavior, and then somebody would come and rescue them, and then they would mess something else up, and they would fall back into this pattern, that, this cycle, over and over again. Even with Moses and Joshua, who were great leaders, people of Israel constantly fell short of God's standard for them. And they had this great idea, let's abandon what God told us to do in the first place. We want a king. We want to be like everybody else. We, and, and God basically told them through the prophet Samuel, listen, if you do this, you're not going to like it, right? He's going to charge you ridiculous amounts of taxes. He's going to take your kids to war. He's going to do all these different things. He's going to require your daughters. Uh, all of these different things that are going to be part of having a king like everybody else. They said, no, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. God said, okay, you can have Saul. Saul turned out to be a crazy person, right? And then he was followed by David, who was a great king and a great leader, but he was also very messed up, and he made a lot of mistakes. And then his descendants became king after him, and, and they took messed up to a whole new level, to the point where the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms. Now you have the kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel on the other side, and um, the northern kingdom of Israel falls apart first, and they fall away from God. The kingdom of Judah had a couple good kings mixed in with mostly bad kings. And ultimately, both kingdoms are conquered by other nations, um, and they're exiled to different parts of the world. And we've been talking about the book of Daniel starting last week, and we're going to again this week. And this is kind of in that period of exile where a number of the people have been pulled out of their homeland into a foreign land, into the city of Babylon, a part of this, this other kingdom that has um, no allegiance to the God of the Bible. And they go through this process, and eventually um, a remnant comes and, and goes back to Jerusalem and rebuilds the city wall. You read in the book of Nehemiah and Ezra, how the temple was rebuilt, and all of this exciting stuff, and then they just fall apart again, right? It's, it's this constant, constant cycle. And so then you come to the time of Jesus. And at that point, um, they were in their homeland, but it had been conquered by a number of different kingdoms, the Greeks, and then the Romans came in. And now the Romans are ruling, and they've established this authority. And that's where we are at the time of Jesus. And God's people have gone through a lot of changes since that moment. In fact, at one point, um, the emperor of Rome, Constantine, converted to Christianity. Now, you might think, well, that sounds wonderful, but in reality, it was probably more of a political move than an actual conversion. I don't want to judge his heart, but just based on some of the things that happened afterwards, uh, this ended up being an even bigger disaster. And Christianity spread really fast because now the emperor was Christian, and, and that was a really popular thing to do. But it created so much mess and chaos within the church 
Uh, what started with an incredibly healthy movement and was growing like wildfire under the persecution of evil Roman empires um, ultimately became a mess of, of organization under a Christian emperor. And the reality that we keep coming back to over and over again is that humanity is flawed. And now that uh, world leaders begin to discover, oh, there's maybe some advantages in controlling um, the church and controlling uh, religion. And so um, different nations decided to, whatever, implement their authority over the church as well, that they were the head of the church. And so you have nations where kings are, are not only the king of uh, the political sphere, but they are king of the church as well. And so now that leads us to where we are in the United States, and, and we've been a nation, we're a relatively young nation, only a, a few hundred years old, and uh, we took a kind of slightly different approach to the way that we set things up, in that the, um, the, there's a separation between what's uh, supposedly political and, and then what's spiritual, and that people have freedom within this nation to worship as they choose and there are a lot of wonderful, wonderful benefits to that reality. But just like any other system, we are run and governed by people who are messed up and broken and stupid sometimes. Let's just be completely honest here. And, and, and this is the world that we live in. Um, and so we kind of have two different approaches or philosophies that are on the extreme ends of how we deal with being a Christian in the United States today. And I want to talk about that because that's relevant to us. Um, so one side spends most of its time criticizing everything about our country. Um, they see our country's flaws, and yes, there are many. Um, but, and they think we should refrain from any form of nationalistic pride, that we should not say anything positive about the United States. And then on the other side, we think that the American that the, the United States of America and the kingdom of God are the same thing, right? <laughs> and that the United States is the fulfillment of God's perfect plan for humanity. And can I tell you something? Both of those things are objectively wrong, okay? <laughs> I, I genuinely believe that America has, a lot, has had a lot of godly, influential people that have had a great impact on our nation and as a result, we've been blessed by God in many ways. And I think we ought to be grateful for that, and I think we ought to honor that, and I think we ought to pursue that going forward. I also think it's a mistake to think of America and its government as a Christian institution, right? Because they're, a constitutional republic might be an effective governing model, but it's not a replacement for the kingdom of God. And it's not ultimately God's plan for our world going forward. Now, one of the things I said last week is one of the biggest challenges we face is to reach groups like the trans community or, um, you know, like people whose behavior, whose identity is wrapped up in something that we find contrary to the Word of God. And part of this practice is disentangling our identity from our practice and our behavior. That who I am isn't what I want. 
And that can be a really big challenge, right? And, and we as Christians do it too. We just place our identity maybe in things that aren't necessarily opposed to God's word, but they're not who we should be finding our identity in either. So how do we get our loyalty to our king and to our kingdom? And how do we focus our attention on that? You know, it's interesting what Daniel was going through in the book of the first six chapters of Daniel kind of are the narrative story of um, the things that, that he walked through and, and how God used him um, in this really, really interesting scenario where he was a part of a kingdom that had no allegiance to God. And he was placed in a position of authority as a believer, and he and his friends were, were highly regarded and had this influence, but yet, at the same time, they were in a situation, they were in an institution that was, in a lot of ways, opposed to the kingdom of God. And I think, in some ways, we are in a similar position to where Daniel was at in this particular book. Um, now, I don't think that we are in quite as dire of a situation. I'm so grateful that, um, as we're going to read this morning, that if, if we don't bow down to false gods, that anybody is going to throw us into a fiery furnace this morning. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. So I, I don't think that we're... It, this is an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but we live in a world where there are a lot of people, a part of our leadership and a part of our government, that hold views that are contrary to what we believe as Christians, that are opposed to the Word of God. So how do we navigate living in this world in an honest way without being just an antagonist at the same time? Now, we're going to pick up the story in chapter 3. Last week we were in chapter 1. This week we're going to skip ahead to chapter 3. Chapter 2 is a vision that Daniel has. It's really a powerful vision about different kingdoms that are going to come. And uh, he, he really uh, foreshadows um, several different empires that uh, will come and, and reign. But in this story, Daniel's not here. Now, we don't know exactly why he's absent from this story. He may have been traveling when all this happened. Um, we don't know exactly where he was. But this story is really about his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or as my favorite VeggieTales video of all time calls them, Rackshack and Benny. <laughs> I know that's a narrow reference. Some of you get it. That's okay. Uh, just, just roll with me on that one. If you haven't seen it or your kids haven't seen it, you've got to watch it. It's, it's fantastic. All right. Um, so chapter 2, Daniel interprets these dreams of, that the king has had. Um, he's elevated to this high position. In chapter 3, everything falls apart for Nebuchadnezzar. He does the dumbest thing possible. He creates a golden sculpture of himself that's 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide. I mean, can you imagine the ego on somebody to say, I am going to create a giant 90-foot-tall golden statue of myself, and then I'm going to get a band together, and everybody's going to play music and party and have a good time, and when the music stops, everybody's going to bow down and worship this statue of me that I created. 
actually kind of sounds like an American politician <laughs> now that I think about it, right? <laughs> oh, you know, we find these three men in this situation, in this culture, where they know that what the king is asking them to do is wrong. And I want to look at how they dealt with this. So they, they have this big party. They, they do this. The, the, the worship team is playing, and they stop playing the music. And all, everybody bows down, except for Rack, Shack, and Benny. And, and it probably would not have been that big of a deal, but obviously there are other people uh, who noticed that they didn't bow down. And so they went to the king to tattle on them. And so let's pick it up in verse 9, and let's read together. And I encourage you, read through the whole chapter as you have time this week too. Um, but verse 9 says, They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Well, this, of course, makes the king irate because he had made a decree, and obviously there were people who were disobeying that decree. So he brings them in to the palace to chew them out. He drags them in and threatens them. He says, who is the God that will deliver you into my hands? You're about to find out, king. <laughs> Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer to you in this matter. That's a bold statement right there, okay? I demand an answer from you. We don't really feel like we need to answer you in this instance. <laughs> if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. All right, <laughs> that's, that's some guts right there. Now, this is the best part. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Uh, I've talked about this verse before because I just love their heart behind it. I love how they say this. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now that's the kind of heart that I want to have as a follower of Christ. Hey, I believe that my God can do the impossible. I believe that he can protect me. I believe that he can take care of me. I don't believe that anything that you can do can harm me. But even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow down to your false God. We as Christians need to have that kind of conviction. We need to have that kind of faith. We need to have that kind of belief in our God that we will stand to our principles no matter what it costs us. This is 
History is filled with people who have given their lives for the sake of the gospel. God's promise to you is not that everything will come out smelling like roses if you follow him, that he will take away every inconvenience or every ounce of persecution. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. <laughs> Jesus promised that in this life you will face trials of many kinds, that you will face persecution, that you will face hardship if you choose to follow Christ. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed that God was going to deliver them in this instance, but they said, even if he doesn't, we will still not bow down and worship your image. A couple of things I want us to notice um, from this passage. First of all, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't avoid their sinful culture. Right? It would have been a lot easier if they would have just decided, I'm going to stay home today. <laughs> you know, when, when the band's getting together, they're like, let's go hide in the corner here so nobody notices that we're not going to bow down. I mean, it's one thing to choose not to, to worship this, this graven image, but it's another thing to do it in front of other people. And God has not called us as Christians to hide from the rest of the world and to live quiet lives so that nobody sees us. Rather, our lives are supposed to be a light to the world around us. That as we live out our convictions, as we live out what we believe, as we boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel, we do it so that everybody around us sees what's going on in our lives. Now that takes faith. That takes conviction. That takes boldness. Second thing is that they refused to participate in something that was directly sinful. So their first decision was to do it publicly. Their second uh, decision was that we're not going to compromise what we believe. You can have faith in your heart to make a decision like that. They could have easily justified, oh, let's just kneel down. Listen, we're, we're in a position of authority and leadership. We need to protect that position. Right? God has put us here for a reason. So he doesn't want us to get killed. I mean, we might as well just bow down. We won't really worship in our hearts. You know, we'll, just, we'll just go through the motions. We'll pretend um, like, uh, like we're doing it, and then we'll move on with our lives. That would have been an easy solution for them. They said, no, that's not right, and we won't do it. And then third, their, their refusal was a public testimony to the authority of their God. They wanted everyone to know who the real God is. Listen, our goal in standing up to things that are uh, culturally acceptable and spiritually wrong is not so that we can tell everybody how great and how wonderful we are. Our goal is to point people to the authority of our God and to his word. And if we have any other motivation than that, then that's just selfish ambition, and we should just be embarrassed by that. But if our heart and our motivation is to point people to the love of Jesus Christ, to the hope of the gospel message, that's where we need to be. Um, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are living in a culture that is diametrically opposed to the things of God. And they're balancing how to walk in that culture and they're learning how to, 
how to work inside that culture, how to be honorable and respectful. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And uh, it's another great story. You probably are familiar with that in some way. One of the things that I love about Daniel as he interacts with the king is he is always honoring to King Darius, even though the guy's a knucklehead. I mean, it's amazing how generous he is and how kind he is to this man who is clearly um, unwilling to submit to the authority of God and how God uses Daniel in that process. And that's one thing that, that we can learn throughout the entire story of Daniel, that they honor people who aren't necessarily worthy of honor and how sometimes honor can open the door to having an incredible conversation. And they're balancing how to walk in this culture and how to stay true to the God that has called them to be separate from the world around them. Um, You know, there are some individuals in the church who think it's wrong to um, take anything in from culture. Uh, But there are three options, I believe, that we as Christians, of how we deal with different things in our culture... Um, and three things that I want to walk us through, and what you do with these three things, I'm not going to tell you exactly how you should handle it. Um, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do that, but, but I just want you to have some framework as to how to address these things that we're relating to in our culture. So receive, redeem, and reject. All right, those are three areas um, that we can use to relate to cultural things. Um, There are some individuals that think it's wrong to receive anything in culture, but I think that's not good practice. Um, First of all, when we participate in the culture that we live in, it gives us the opportunity to build connections with others outside the faith. Not everything in our culture is sinful and dangerous, okay? Um, And if you have the idea that everything is bad, then that mentality leads to legalism. In fact, That's one thing that Paul said, that legalism is actually um, creating another gospel. Like Those were the words that he used in Galatians. And so if you're going to be legalistic, then you're placing your faith in something that isn't the work of God's grace. Now, the Assemblies of God, for example, was formed out of a holiness movement. Um, And many of the people that were a part of that early movement were reacting to a sinful culture And many of them decided that everything that could be associated with anything that had to do with any sort of sinful behavior at any time was sinful. So um, you might have friends or family members or know people that are like, "Ah, listen, we're not going to touch playing cards. We're not going to have anything to do with movie theaters. Women need to wear long, full-length dresses that go down past their ankles. Um, And and fortunately, we've kind of moved away from that in, in the last 100 years or so but I think that sometimes some of those sentiments still remain. And when you ask someone who has um, extra-biblical standards, uh, like standards that are more than what the Bible prescribes, they'll, they'll turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.22, and maybe you've heard this quoted before. It says something along the lines of, avoid the appearance of evil. Have you heard that before? Um, you probably have if you read the King James Version, It's not in any of the other translations, and there's a reason it's not. It's because it's not a good translation, okay? What it really says in the original language is that we should avoid all kinds of evil. And if you take the word appearance, that changes the meaning of the text. So now we can say anything that has to, uh, is associated with something that's evil, and it becomes 
legalism. Okay, so let me give you some examples. It's not wrong to take up hobbies. It's not wrong to watch TV or movies or to go to community events. It's not wrong to celebrate non-Christian holidays. In fact, I would argue that Thanksgiving is not officially a Christian holiday, but it is probably the purest holiday that we have as far as biblical principles and the way that we celebrate, even though it isn't inherently Christian. You know what? It's even okay to follow sports teams as long as they're not sinful teams like the Packers. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Here's where the danger comes in. When culture takes the place of worship or faith. Because any of those things in and of themselves could be good things and useful things or or at the very uh, worst, neutral things. But when they take the place of our relationship with Christ, when they consume all our time and all our energy and all that is poured onto other things, that's when they become idols rather than entertainment. Right? Um, The other danger is that when neutral cultural items are tied to a moral practice or behavior. And you know what? That's a difficult thing to separate sometimes. Um, Like, for example, we watched the Super Bowl here. We even had a Super Bowl party here at church. We did not watch the halftime show. You know why? Because I was familiar with what the artist who was doing the halftime show was going to sing about and probably wear too, okay? Um, I mean, let's, let's be honest. There are cultural things that suck us, can suck us into things that will ultimately lead us down a path where we don't want to go. And separating out those items can be a difficult thing, and that's why we need discernment. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to listen to His voice. And you know what? Um, you can't rely on somebody else to do that for you. You have to be engaged with the Holy Spirit. You have to listen to His voice. You have to read the Word and study for yourself. You have to know uh, in your heart what is okay and what is right and what is good. All right, the second thing is to redeem. Um, Some parts of culture are not neutral, or maybe they're associated with other things, but they can be redeemed. Um, Some would say that Christmas is one of those options, right? Because Christmas um, is ultimately a celebration of the birth of Christ, right? But um, it was tied to another pagan holiday that was happening back in the day, and they happened to um, place it on that day. Why? To redeem that time, to take something that was celebrating something wrong and, and bad, and they took some of the traditions of that holiday, and they applied them to celebrating something that was good, like the birth of Christ. And so we don't have to worry about celebrating Christmas. That has been redeemed, right? We've taken something that was used for evil, and we turned it into something that can be used to celebrate something good and joyful, like the birth of Christ. Um, growing up, I went to something called the Sunshine Festival. Has anybody been to that before? It's in Wilmer, Minnesota. It was in Wilmer, Minnesota back in the day, and it was a Christian music festival that would get all these bands together. Um, basically, I mean, it was a ripoff of Woodstock, right? And, and you take something that was like, Woodstock was like the center of immorality, right? There were so many terrible, awful things that happened, and, and Christians said, hey, we can do something like that. We can take the good things from that and, and make it about worshiping our king instead. And it was, it was a really fun and really enjoyable experience. They took something and redeemed it. Um, we as a church, uh, we do something every fall. Uh, we do a, a neighborhood Halloween party. And I know some of you are like, I, I just don't feel comfortable with that. 
Um, and uh, I understand that Halloween has some ties to witchcraft and some things that are, that are not good and are unhealthy. And we are fully aware of that. However, I also realize that there are hundreds of kids walking around my neighborhood. And we have an opportunity to show them the love of Jesus. So we turn up worship music as loud as we can. We blast it at full volume. It's a perfect excuse. We have bounce houses. We give kids candy. We tell them that Jesus loves them. Um, we tell them that uh, we're from West Point Church and that we just want to show our neighborhood love. And we're, we're being a light in a situation that could potentially be a dark place. right? And that's why we do that. That's the heart behind it. That's the purpose. We're redeeming something that the enemy has used for evil, and we're turning it into something good. And that's, that's what that idea of redemption can be. Now, as we get to the, the last thing, I want to be clear. Not everything in our culture is redeemable. Okay? Some things we need to just say uh, no. Okay? Um, let me give you an example. Uh, pornography. Right? There's no redeeming qualities in pornography. In it, in and of itself, is innately sinful, and we, as a as a Christian community, ought to reject it. Now, can I can I push a little step further? Right, some pornography is not necessarily explicitly pornography, but it's disguised as entertainment. And they just combine the two things together so that you mix in a little bit of pornography with entertainment, and then it becomes something that's acceptable for our culture. And I know, like, friends of mine that, that watch things on TV or in movie theaters or wherever it might be that are not honoring to the Lord and that Christians shouldn't be participating in. Um, there's, a, there's a website called IMDB. Have you heard of that before? It's like Internet Movie Database is what it stands for. Um, you can go on their little app or whatever. You can click on any movie, and there's something on there called the Parents Guide. I do this all the time. I'll click on that thing, and it will spell out everything that could potentially be inappropriate in that movie. And it's great for you as a parent if you're looking at that uh, for your kids, but it's more than just a parent's guide. It should be a Christian viewer's guide, too. You can look at that thing and be like, you know what? I'm probably not watching this movie. I'm probably not watching this TV show. Like, I'm, these tools are available for us because we need to protect what goes into our mind. If you think filling your mind with a bunch of garbage on a regular basis is not going to affect you at all, you're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. Think about the music that you listen to. Listen, I used to listen to uh, a, a much broader uh, scope of music until I had kids, and then I started thinking about the lyrics that they were saying in those songs, and I'm like, I don't want my kids to listen to this. Listen, it shouldn't be, I don't want myself to listen to this. Right? We need to guard our hearts and minds. The more garbage that we pour into our heads, the harder it is God to change us and transform us into who we want to be. We are at war with our culture. And our culture wants to pull us in a direction that is unhealthy and unholy. And so we need to have discernment to say, is this something that's harmless? Is this something that needs to be redeemed a little bit? Or is this something that needs to be thrown in the garbage? And it's a 
process of learning to listen to the Holy Spirit. We get there. I want to just finish this story for you. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments and were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. But the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. And the flame of the fire killed all the men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, Didn't we cast three men into the, to be bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, Yeah, true, O king. <laughs> he answered and said, I see four men unbound, walking around in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And they came out of the fire. And the satraps and prefects and governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. No smell of fire came on them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angel and delivered his servants, and who trusted in him. And he set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people or nation or language that speaks against anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. They were done with the fires. Okay, the, the furnace, that, that's out. We're going to just tear your arms off. And their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. That's the God we serve. That's the God we place our faith in. Listen, some of us need some conviction this morning. Right? We need some conviction to stop believing the lies the enemy is telling you. Saying all this garbage that you're pouring into your heart and into your mind is okay. It's harming you. It's pulling you away from God set free. This is not about legalism. This is not about God loving you more because you're um, doing something. Um, we're, we're not going to um, have, have you lay anything at the altar here this morning or do anything weird like that. This is an opportunity to listen to the Holy Spirit and say, this practice in my life needs to change because it's creating separation between me and the God who loves me. And I want to lay it down so that I can serve him more faithfully. So I want us to just take a second and listen to his voice. And I'm going to pray this morning. If God speaks to your heart, in whatever way he calls you to respond, I encourage you.
Heavenly Father, you love us and we trust you. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted you. Lord, our commitment is to you and not to this world. And so while we love the people in this world and we're here for them and, and we're here to serve them, God, we want to be separate from the world around us. So Lord, help us to abandon any practice that is causing us to sin, that is causing us to stumble. Not so that we could earn your favor, or not so that we could earn the appreciation of others, but so that we could draw closer to you. Lord, I pray against any distraction or any lie that the enemy is telling us right now so that we can hear your voice in a clear way this morning. We love you, Jesus. Speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Show us the truth of your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is our God that we serve, that you're able to stand with us even in the moments where we're feeling attacked or feeling vulnerable. Lord, we know that you can save us, that you can spare us, but even if you don't, we won't bow to the world's idols. We won't fall for the things that Satan wants to stumble, to trip us up with. Help us to trust in you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.